We are right in the middle of December. It's Christmas this day next week and it's the darkest time of the year. December 21st is the shortest day and we've all become used to waking up before sunrise. It's small wonder we invented midwinter celebrations like Christmas to help us brighten our mood. And it's a time when we feel furthest from nature, from growth. But as we learned from Michael and Murren in the DIY episode, growth and farming are happening all year round. When I thought of farming in the past, I usually had an image in mind of cows, terrifying chickens and fields, definitely in the countryside. But there is a small book growing movement towards thinking closer to home, farming in a more urban space. Last week, we visited Belvedere College, a secondary school where they've joined that movement. My name's Simon O'Donnell and I look after the urban farm here at Belvedere College. So this project started about five years ago in the school. Uh, and over the past five years, it's been developing into a thriving urban farm. In the last year, we've been working with four other schools to develop a wider network of urban farms in Dublin City. And today was the students and staff from those schools coming together to share ideas. So all four schools came to see the farm, meet the students and discuss the plans. The other schools are St. Larson Tools, which is a primary school just off Sheriff Street, O'Connell's Secondary School uh, behind Crow Park, Larkin Community College, which is just down the road here beside O'Connell Street, and St. Kevin's College from Crumlin. Obviously, the three of those schools are very close to us here at Belvedere, so it made sense to, to link in with them. And we have a former staff member who's now principal in St. Kevin's, so they had experience of the project. The project is funded by the Department of Education as part of their School Excellence Fund, which is targeted at DESH schools, and, and all those schools are part of that program. I think all the schools are hoping to benefit from each other in terms of the sharing of ideas between students and teachers, and that's what I suppose the School Excellence Fund aims to do, is to bring together networks of schools where you can get all kinds of expertise and experience and pull that in one setting and hopefully out of that come even more ideas. But what is an aquaponic system? Joshua Lawless, a Belvedere student, led the discussion in one group. What do you have in the, what do you have in the soil? Plants. Then what links the plants and the, and the tank together? The pipes. So what do you need to use to get the water up? Gravity doesn't pump water up. You need to get the water above the tanks and you need to get the water around. What would you use? So you have to have a pump and that pump sucks water in and pushes it out at a certain amount of watts or gallons an hour, right? So that piping actually pumps the water up onto this because the water has to go actually upwards if you have to, you have the trays on top of the tank, right? And then for it to be a joint circle, you have to get the water back down. So you can use gravity in this case so you can have water to come back down into this, into this, into this tank, right? So you have water coming up into this and back in. So what else do you have in the fish tank then? So you have a fish in the tank. So you have little worms, the, the, the wiggly worms or, or whatever, the fish food, right? So you give the fish the food. What, what does the fish produce then from that, from that food they, they give it? But what do we all produce when, when we waste? What, what comes back out? Poo? Yeah, waste. So basically you feed the fish every few minutes and then like there's these tubes that suck their poo um, and it acts as the soil for the plants so they can grow. That waste then, as you can physically see it at first, but then actually breaks down in the water to create nitrates and phosphates and chemicals in the water that if you were to just leave them in the, in the water it'd actually kill the fish because the, t- the, the parameters in the water are changed and it turned to acidic. This pump sucks nutrients in as it breaks down in the water column and pumps up onto the plants and the little root systems. What do they do? 
to take it out of the water only. Which then in return cleans the water for the fish and keeps the fish healthy. So it's a closed circle. If you were to leave that and go away and come back, it'd still be alive because all, they all live off each other. It's sustainable. I think it's very interesting and I think it's a good idea. Instead of like getting soil, we can just use the fish for it. So that's aquaponics. Let's have a look. So we're going to head upstairs to, to where our farm is. I know in uh, all of your schools, you've got a new system in place. Some are working better than others. I know uh, we have a school here where, the, where the, the fish are struggling a little bit, but that's the nature of the, the start of the process. If you're using the fish to grow your food, um, I think it's a good idea to put fresh water in every, every day so they won't die. My name is Marcus Brenneman. I'm from Larrier CBS. I feel really grateful of this because it was not uh, really hurting the environment, taking loads of water out of the sea and all that, but using fish instead of water to feed and grow the plants. And when in my school, when I was doing the aquaponics, uh, two, two of the fish, uh, a few of the fish died, the tilapia. Uh, my name's Carson. Uh, a tilapia is a type of fish that lives in warm water. It just likes being around other fish and stuff. And then uh, the rest of them died because they weren't probably getting looked after that much. And we need to look after them uh, more. My name is Sean. One time, um, Marcus went up to check on the fish with Carson, and then they came back down and told us that that one of the fish was dead. The fish's body was just lying down in in the tank. You take it out, and then you. <laughs> so that's why we came up here to learn more about them and what to do with them. And when we go upstairs, I might just get some of the students here from Belvedere to explain a little bit about uh, their interest and, and what they've been involved with. We'll go in and we'll have a look around the farm just so you can see how everything works. And then we'll come back down here and you can see we're broken into, into different groups. The students guided the group up to the class next to the garden. The garden is a bright glass house filled with plants, noisy pumps, lights and huge tanks filled with very happy fish. The beds above the fish tanks were filled with growth. Micro salads like cress and other herbs. Tomatoes trailed overhead. Vibrant, thriving life all inside the walls of a school. Brooklyn from Larkin Community College. I like it. You get to like see fishes and like learn about the like natural habitat. Our principal, Mr Usher. Like when they grow big, he said that he's going to eat them. So we see tilapia. That one there is it's a big fish that, that has, has spiky with, uh, fins on it. Oh, and then and then you have the catfish, where it has like a sort of mustache which acts like the whiskers, so they can smell the food when they digest. Uh, when they're finished with it, um, they empty out the water and pour it over the plants to help it grow. My friend Star is a fisher and uh, he tells him a lot about it 
and then he tells me so basically we share information this this is better because it has more room for all of the tanks so they don't have to go in different places but back to the fish they were huge and are clearly being looked after very well but what do they eat i could explain but i think i'll leave that to a couple of the students who do the feeding and you are uh, james mcdonald i first started in first year um, but I was growing a lot uh, of things at home. Like, I grew potatoes. Well, my family, they always grew their own food, like my grandma mostly. I think it's good because if we were to, let's say, grow our own food locally instead of getting stuff imported and, like, to reduce our carbon footprint. And when I got in here, I saw the science behind it and I really liked it because I love science. And um, all the fish, like about the mealworms, the mealworms, like we reuse them. Well, we use them for feed. So we have uh, beetles up on the top. They lay eggs. The eggs then go down to the bottom of the whole rack. Even if the thought of maggoty mealworms gives you the creeps, I think we should take a closer look at them and the beetles they become. Owen Regan, another Belvedere student, showed us the drawers where they grow them. Right, so if you look here, these are the beetles. Um, this is the last stage of the uh, metamorphosis of the mealworm. When the mealworms are born, they start from an egg and they grow into these uh, larvae here. Those are the actual mealworms themselves. Then once, uh, once they are about two weeks old, they pupate into little pupae. And then once the, about a week after that, they become these black beetles here. It's the larva stage that we feed to the uh, fish. And basically what we have a relatively sophisticated system here where we have all the beetles on top and then... Um, you can't see but underneath is a mesh and once the beetles lay the eggs they, they fall through that mesh and they go down to the second la- layer so th- once beetles start growing in here their eggs will then go down to the lower level and then we'll just see more and more this system means that the most amount of mealworms will pupate and the most amount of eggs are laid once you get over the basic kind of they're wriggly, they're gross um, they're, they're really easy to handle when they hatch uh, we put half them back up to the top and then we put the other half, uh, we freeze them. We freeze them because it's uh, the most humane way to do it. And it keeps all their like insides, nutrients inside of them. Um, and then when they're frozen, we then incubate them. And we can make jelly out of them. Uh, we can feed that to the fish. The fish, when they produce waste, the waste they, that feeds the plants. Then the plants, we can use the plants to cook and all that. Or uh, we can use it to feed the mealworms. And when those mealworms grow, they go through that system of making, like, jelly. And then we can also add the vegetables. We can dry them out and then put them into the jelly as well. So this is a circular system. A perfect illustration of how to reuse and recycle the products and byproducts of farming. Lara Hanlon spoke about eating mealworms in our episode on energy. She mentioned using powdered worms as a protein element to use in cooking. Having seen them wriggling up close, I understand why they might seem a lot easier to swallow that way instead of squirming down your throat. The great thing about getting growing in your school is that each of you can play to your strengths and do what you're good at. Since we started five years ago, there's been a whole range of students that have kind of engaged and become interested in the project. You have students who are interested in just growing food and connecting with nature a little bit. You have students who are very much into the science side of the things and testing water quality and developing different scientific projects. 
You have business students who like selling the produce. We've had art students up here doing art projects, such as designing the label for the honey jars. So it's really a, a wide plethora of, of interests and types of students that will engage with the project. It's clear that every single person with an interest can help out to the best of their ability. So why should you think about small-scale farming in your school? Well, I suppose in terms of urban agriculture, there's a lot of debate about its viability and the value it adds in terms of sustainability and environmental impact. And that's a really valid argument. But in an educational setting, I think it's unquestionable the value that it adds. We can connect students with nature, with living things, with living processes and ecosystems in a way through these systems that is impossible otherwise in in an urban setting. So really what we're creating is a a natural environment right in the middle of a school, right in the middle of the city. And that's something that just couldn't exist without these type of systems. The discussion after you went to the garden offered a perfect opportunity to share ideas. What they're mostly doing is giving out a bit more drawing. That's what they're mostly doing, even that. What do you mean the state of it? That's a beautiful smiley it looks face like emoji. A dying smiley face with a fish. Do you like you like hanging around with everybody? Do you? No. Good man. I'm your one person. Who's your pal? The blondie guy down there. What's his name? Brax. My name is Brax. I go to Larry's uh, CBS. I don't go, but I think it might be fun. And they're going to learn new skills as well. I'm Conor Flood, a teacher in O'Connell Secondary School. We've landscaped the front of the school with kind of bee-friendly and insect-friendly wild Irish seeds. Uh, We've five raised beds that we've put in and we hope then to attract in different birds and, you know, as well as grow our own veg. Then we have the aquaponics unit and what's the last little bit? Oh, we've a reflective, a meditative area that we're building and it's right in the centre of the school so the kids can see everything. How many fishes do you have? We've ten. About half of them are doing really well and grown. The rest look a little bit... Dead. No, not dead yet. <laughs> not dead yet. Yeah, well, yeah, we're, we're used to that. We're used to that. Tyg and I'm from O'Connell. The environment is actually going so bad in these last couple of years that skills do need to be involved in more of this to help the environment. Because we're the next generation. We're the ones that's going to be living in... Um, on this planet when all the other generation passes away. We had to do a question that says, why would you want farm in the city? It might be better because there's loads of people. We saw the man that walks here, he tried the worm into the fish tank and the fish ate it to keep them healthy because if the fish wouldn't get food they would like nearly die there was these animals and they were insects and they turned into the worms that the fish eat I'm Tina from Larkin I feel like it's important because like it just helps with outdoor activities and like you complain that most people are on their games like children aren't playing outside enough so this might help them like get in with their environment and like it might give them like time out of school as well to be like no or I can grow like herbs at home as well I can go in I don't know, it helps just boost like um, what we think as a school towards um, being environmentally friendly and how we can help to contribute. Of course, this wasn't the first experience of gardening for some students, as we discovered. But we asked around whether or not they'd ever grown anything, not one of them, uh, except this young man here. Onions. What else? 
and that's all. No, remember you told me the sweet things. Strawberries. Oh, strawberries. Yeah. Just them too. At home, I like, I'm growing an orange plant, yeah, and we have like like a little potato garden and like it does produce potatoes and stuff. I feel like just having fresh food is really nice and like knowing where your stuff comes from and like not like knowing it hasn't been shipped from other countries and like just not, I can go and pick like a mint to eat or add it to like my dinner. It's like a really nice idea. But for many, gardening in their school might be the first step in understanding where their food comes from and it might make it all the more appealing to eat. When it's the summer or any time of the day, we'll be growing kale, strawberries, carrots, all of those healthy stuff. You get to eat them. You put them off and then you, and then you, you can bring them for your food and all. You, oh, yeah, you can put them into packages and you can bring them to the school. Like, we have these onions on top of our garden and we're just allowed to eat them. We're not just putting them into a bag, but when the strawberries go, we're definitely going to eat them. My name is Ashton. You get to grow stuff and then you, you at the end of June or January, you get to eat the strawberries. Well, we have flowers in the yard and... Any time when something's bad, you can just smell the flowers because they're very nice and you need vegetables to keep you strong and healthy. For a fruit, I would um, grow an apple and a vegetable carrot. If you don't eat vegetables and you, you won't be strong, you'll be, like, you'll be just getting skinny and skinny and skinny and weak. I'm Angela from Larkin. It's actually a good way to grow things and like herbs and plants like that and yeah maybe vegetables as well and fruits. For some people it's the only opportunity they have to see um, animals and plants like that. Um, A lot of the students would live in apartments so they don't actually have access to a garden or to have space to keep their own uh, pets and things so I think it's a great opportunity for them. Also I see an awful lot of students will just stand and look at the fish because it's quite relaxing, it's quite therapeutic. They're even learning about the nitrogen cycle and uh, sustainability just by asking questions and having a look at it. These skills will continue in their urban farming journey in the months and years to come. I look forward to visiting them to see where the experiment leads. But what's that sound? I think my bee senses are buzzing. Around the same time that we developed the aquaponics system, we also installed beehives on the roof of the school here at Belvedere. And I suppose that part of the project was the one that was just successful immediately and has been developing really well over the last five years. We've been working with an experienced beekeeper who manages quite a few of the hives. And in the height of summer, we probably have in the region of about half a million bees on the roof of the school. So now we've just come out of the greenhouse and we're walking up to the uh, roof above the greenhouse. um, And that's where we keep our beehives. You can probably hear the seagulls in the background. They're the greatest hazard, I think, in in urban beekeeping are are the seagulls that like to live on our rooftops. Particularly uh, when we get into the spring and and the nesting, uh, the seagulls can get very territorial. So uh, they're certainly not shy of swooping down and giving you a little knock on the head when you're going out to look after your bees. This is the observation hive in here. We're inside a shed here on the roof and we have an observation hive where we can open the back of the hive and there's a glass panel so we can see through to the colony of bees working away. Pretty much resting up for the winter now. They're clustered around the queen and they won't be out flying very much in this weather. So at the moment, uh, the population has probably dropped to between five and 10,000. This colony here looks 
quite weak at the moment, which means there's a relatively small number of bees in it. But in the summer, then they'll increase to anything up to about 50,000 bees. Yeah, we do have a number of bee suits and a, and a couple of hives here on the lower roof where we can bring students and we can open the hive and show them the, the inner workings. In Dublin 1, there's quite a distinctive flavour to the honey. The beekeeper we work with has hives in different parts of the city, in, in Dublin 4, I think in Dublin 15. And depending on where he has those hives, each honey has its own distinctive flavour. Dublin 1 honey seems to be a slightly uh, citrusy, limey taste. The, the main forage for the bees in this area would be the lime trees that are located kind of on the sides of some of the main streets around here in Dublin 1. They'd also harvest from the parks and the gardens around, but the, the main forage would be, would be those lime trees. It seems as if Simon and the students involved in the project are onto something. The first episode we ever did spoke about biodiversity and how we can become separated from our environment. Here in Belvedere and at the partner schools too, they are taking a step back into nature. Obviously there's a lot of practical skills and sustainability issues we're trying to to bring up through the farm, but in addition to that, it's just a nice environment for young teenagers in the city to be able to come to, to be able to come to a room that's full of life and growth, full of fish and water and plants. And just being in that space in itself, I think, is hugely beneficial for the students in the school. Thanks to Simon O'Donnell and all the students at Belvedere and the partner schools for having us along that very important day. Not every school can help pollination in their area by getting a beehive. And the privilege of having a dedicated greenhouse built into your school is not on the cards for many people. But starting a farming project in your school or with your family, no matter how small, could go a long way to helping improve the green in your life. While it's also doing great things for the environment all around you. Merry Christmas from Ecolution. And don't forget, Brussels sprouts aren't just for Christmas, they're for life. Ecolution was produced by Nikki Cochran for RTE Junior Radio. Most of the material recorded for this podcast was gathered on a bike. 